Well, good morning, church. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They have Bibles that if you didn't come with one today, we'd invite you just to take one as uh, they come through. And uh, feel free to take it home and uh, use it for your very own. My name is Randy Hunt. I'm part of the pastoral care team here at uh, LAFC. And it's uh, great to share with you this morning from this idea of how do we respect or gain respect from people in our culture today. And we have a great lesson that we can learn from uh, the, in the book of Daniel as we look at Daniel's life. But let me say this, that you know, I love the worship here at LEFC, and I t- think of that song that we just did. When we're talking about uh, God is good, God is good, that he's so good, or, or we look, he's never going to let me down. It kind of, when you, you think of the words of that song, Can you imagine you just heard a friend of yours who uh, you hadn't seen in a long time say to you, "Um, I hear you're a Christian. And you say, yes, I am. You say, well, you're no different than all the rest of the people. And immediately you're categorized. You're kind of ostracized for being an evangelical. If, if you want to gain uh, a lot of boos and ahs and, and uh, comments coming from the crowd, all you got to do is just say, I'm an evangelical. And that immediately starts to turn the crank of people in a very negative way. So when you think of that song, how do I respond to a culture when just the very mention of the word Christian or evangelical is met with such radical responses? We live in a culture that is vastly changing. I'm sure that you have heard people respond in a negative way towards the things that you believe. Sometimes you may wrestle with questions as you're laying your head on your pillow at night and you're wondering, and this even could be as you wake up in the morning and you're about ready to walk out the door. Questions like this might be flowing through your mind. What's my role as a follower of Jesus in today's constantly shifting culture? Or how can I stand firm in my faith and still be relevant to people who seem to be different than me? Or how should I respond when others say that my Christian views are unloving? Or how does the Christian message apply to everyone when there are just so many differences in culture, ethnicity, I'll get it out here, lifestyle, orientation, political beliefs, and spiritual practices? Or if I stand for truth, what are people going to think of me? Or how do I handle the barrage of constant change that's in our culture? in our world. Maybe we even wrestle, is scripture reliable? So in thinking through those questions, sometimes we're left, or even engagement with others outside of our normal sphere of influence. And and maybe it's it's people that uh, uh, look and act very, very differently than we do. Do you often find yourself feeling anger? Do you feel yourself threatened? Do you find yourself frustrated? Do you feel yourself with condemnation? You know, you just, when they start to react towards you, you just want to let them have it. Or maybe in your mind you're thinking, God, just bring judgment on them. 
Or maybe we just feel defeated or fearful or we have a strong desire to just avoid people altogether. Yet, in the book of Daniel, you find that we really can not just survive in a culture that is vastly changing, that is, that is antagonistic towards a one true God, that you can see in this book called Daniel that you can actually thrive. And I hope this morning you're going to learn how you can thrive and not just survive in this culture that is, is moving further and further away from the things of God. Daniel was a tremendous man of influence, and he became so countercultural that uh, in, in an area that was just far worse than even where we're at, and yet he thrived. How did he engage this culture so different? And I think he faced it head on. He didn't retreat into his room and stay there. He went out and he engaged. He hit it head on. And here's some thoughts that just kind of you see throughout the book of Daniel about how he engaged this foreign culture that maybe you and I can even learn some things that will help us in engaging our culture. The first is this, never compromise the faith. You never see him compromise. He always remained consistent. And uh, it is way too easy for Christians today to just compromise because we want to be liked. We want people to feel like we're normal, we're okay. So we'd rather just remove ourselves and just compromise. But Daniel never did. He also influenced kings by his exceptional qualities and godly character. So before he spoke a word, he stood out among everybody. And his godly character and his exceptional qualities were always being demonstrated before others, long before those words were spoken. His character commanded their respect. He knew the way that he represented God mattered. His character, his attitude, his demeanor mattered just as, mattered just as much as his words and actions. He didn't argue, he didn't defend, he didn't debate. He had clear boundaries with direct, respectful communication. Last week, Matt addressed building credibility through humility. Today, I want to address building credibility through respect, a respect that is mutual, a respect earned by respect given. Let's say that together. A respect earned by respect given. Let's do it again. A respect earned by respect given. I want that to just flow off of your lips because it is the exact uh, handle of how you can look at the book of Daniel that throughout the the verses, the pages of that book, you're going to see that he is definitely a respect is being earned as he's giving respect. So I want to look at some defining moments. Some moments that where you can see that this is being carried out. If you will, turn to Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar has given Daniel this dream. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, 
was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Do you see the respect that is being given? He's looking at this king who has given him the, the dream and the dream spells something very disastrous for this king. And instead of Daniel walking into the king's court and looking him in the face and saying, you're doomed, buddy. You're in trouble. You need to honor God. You need to repent right now. He never responded that way. Instead, he identifies with this king and the interpretation of his dream. And Daniel's even wishing that it, it, it met that it was his adversaries, his enemies that this applied to. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar responds and tells him, Daniel, don't let, the, or Belteshazzar, don't let the meaning of this dream cause you problems. When was the last time that you had a response with somebody who was antagonistic towards you that the response in the end was one where you could see that respect was coming back towards you? Again, let's look at another passage in Daniel chapter 5, verse 16 through 17. Now, Belshazzar has taken over as king and Belshazzar starts to throw a party and he brings the golden goblets out of the, the room, the storage room. These golden go goblets that have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So they're partying. And all of a sudden the finger of God starts to write a message. And of course they are immediately shook by what's going up on the wall, but they don't understand what that means. And so they start crying out, what does this mean, what does this mean? And overhearing them was the queen who knew that there was somebody in the, in the leadership that could interpret dreams. And so I, I looked at that as I was reading that response of this queen, how quickly she went to the king to remind him there was somebody. It just goes back that respect earned by respect given was something that was consistently followed in Daniel's life. And she knew where to go. So she tells Belshazzar what it is that, that there is someone who can interpret the dream. So look at verse 16 through 17. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts in yourself and give your rewards to someone else. 
Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. No encounter to this point between Daniel and Belshazzar. But because someone brings a good report, someone who can help this king out, he shows respect. And he tells them, he said, look, if you can, if you can interpret this, I'm going to give you some goodies that is fit for a king. And you're going to become third highest. Now, put in that spot and you realize what that dream means, wouldn't you just struggle for a minute to think, he's never going to let me down, God is good, good, I don't know, because if I tell him the truth, he doesn't even know me yet. But instead, Daniel tells him the truth, tells him the meaning, he interprets the meaning of that response, of that writing on the wall. And then I want you to turn to Daniel, or look at Daniel 5, 22 through 23. Do you... Do you Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. But instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you have nobles, your wives, and your concubines drink, uh, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Instead of compromise, he speaks truth. And I, didn't, I don't see Daniel throwing this back in the, in the king's face. He just simply reminds him, you knew what your father did. And you've established yourself as being the one whom should be the one honored. And as a result of that encounter, look at verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was slain. He spoke truth, and the king honored him back with respect and gave him the purple robe, the gold chain, and the third highest seat. Why was that done? Even when the message was very concerning and would be a message that would spell Belshazzar's doom is because that man saw in Daniel a person he could respect because he was willing to risk death to speak truth. He was willing to let it out there so that the message could be heard. He knew he was risking, Daniel knew he was risking everything. Then in Daniel chapter 6, Verses 1 through 5, we find another defining moment. 
It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Stop there for just a minute. Do you see what's happening? Darius knows the storyline of Daniel. He sees his consistency. He knows that he's a person who is going to live out what he hopes will be one of accountability, one he can trust, one he can respect, one who he knows he can feel safe in allowing him to be in charge, to be in control. But that doesn't set well with all those because I think the underlying theme here is that there is a lot of corruption throughout Babylon. So Daniel, or so Daniel is, a, is assigned to even head this sense of governance across the kingdom. To kind of be the one who makes sure that this corruption's dealt with. And that's when everybody got nervous. Because if you take an honest man and place him in in a position of power, you know he's not going to turn his head at the corruption that they were involved in. So the first fake news was given. We've got to do something. We can't let this happen. And so they came up with a plan. They tried everything, it says, beginning with verse 5. Or at verse 4, at this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Can you imagine the intensity of somebody who runs for politics in our culture goes under tremendous scrutiny under the eyeglass of, of the life that is lived. And here stands Daniel as a man who lived with integrity, lived with tremendous influence. He never compromised. He always valued people's lives. He gave respect to all people. So how did Daniel gain such respect over 70 years of captivity? I think the first is this. He built credibility and respect through consistency. Isn't that missing today? Don't you find that people have a tendency to do one thing one minute and another thing the next? If I was to interview somebody who is a good friend of yours, would they say, you're a person of consistency? Would it be if it was the person who was in your oikos? You know that relational world that you have of 10 to, or 8 to 15 people. If I was just to go to one of them and I'd say, what, what words would you use to describe, and, and, they, and I gave them your name, would they say, there's one thing you can count on. They're always consistent. They don't change just to be liked. They don't change just to fit in. 
So Daniel is always living his life out what he believed even when it would cost him his life. His consistency always gave him more influence. I think the second thing that I I can see that over the span of 70 years of captivity, how Daniel gained this respect was that he respected others regardless of their differences. He never caved to culture. He never caved to cultural pressures just so that he could be liked and accepted. He always treated everyone with respect. And this week, I happened to see this quote pop up on on Facebook. And it was a quote taken from Rick Warren. I, I have no idea where this came from. I don't know what book it's in or if it was in a message of his. But this quote speaks very well to this point of respecting others regardless of their differences. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that you, that you, if you, uh, the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. How true. I think just taking that quote and placing it somewhere where you can see it every day is so important because it's a lifestyle that is pushed not just outside of the church, but I think often is also pushed within the church. That people don't live like you, don't agree with you, then they deserve to be pushed out of the way. To stop building relationships with them. Instead of respecting the differences they may have. But I think the last point of this, how he was able to gain this respect over 70 years of captivity, is he stood firm, but he loved really well. He stood firm, but he loved really well. In other words, because he didn't compromise his convictions, he was able to demonstrate love just by the first verse that we looked at in Daniel chapter 4, is the fact that he was in the midst of speaking truth, the love came through as he showed how much he cared about the king. I think what we need to learn is how to engage in conversations without coming across as self-righteous or being better than them. Let me illustrate by something that happened one day as I was in New York City on a bus. Happened to sit next to a lady, and a young lady, and um, I asked her, I said, are you new to New York? And she said, yes, I am. I'm here for an event. I said, what's the event? She said, I'm here for the Gay Olympics. And I said, what are you going to be running in? I didn't even bat an eye. I just said, what are you going to be running in? And she said, well, I'm in, in these events. I said, I hope you really do well. And we had a couple of other things, discussions that we had, and she finally stopped before I got off the bus, and she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, you're the first Christian 
The minute I said what I am didn't show disgust and anger towards me. And I said, well, let me tell you one thing. You can count on this. God loves you. And she didn't respond. I got off the bus. I have no idea what happened. But I can tell you this. I, I tried to love really well. To not just look disgusted and angry because of what somebody, how, what somebody believes or how they were living their life. So how do you and I apply these truths through engaging our culture? The first is this, and it comes, I, it was a quote from Larry Osborne that I think is very uh, fitting to think about when you're looking at my own personal engagement. He said, everyone bears the image of God no matter how marred that image might be. Do we forget that the person that we don't agree with or whose lifestyle is totally different than mine, that God, that they bear the image of God? What does it look like for me to somehow still love in the spite of a marred image? What does it look like to pursue like Jesus did the value of loving others really well? Every person that everybody thought Jesus should not identify with were transformed because of his, their encounter with a very loving God, Jesus. And I think today, this culture is waiting for men and women who are willing to engage the culture with tremendous love and realizing that it's not in my power to withdraw myself away from people that God is pursuing. He is calling us to engage that culture and to demonstrate what it looks like to love really well. Influence, second, influence and respect takes time to build. Daniel was building this influence and respect over 70 years in captivity. In other words, when Daniel is about ready to be thrown into the lion's den, he's not some young teenager. He's 80 years old. I don't know too many 80-year-olds. I'm 68, and I feel the same thing. The last thing I want to do is be thrown into something because I can, you know, my bones are starting to get a little bit more brittle, and so I, I don't want to, I, I might be more hurt being thrown in than God's protection while I'm among the lions. Oh, wait a minute, lions. <laughs> I hurt my hip. <laughs> you know, he, he just, he, he, was, he was in a situation where he's saying, God is not going to let me down. God is good. And over this 70-year period, he influenced through that building respect, gaining respect because he earned respect. There's a passage of scripture I want you to turn to in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. And I thought of the, it's interesting, the caption that is above verse 11, at least in my Bible that I have the NIV. 
It says living godly lives in a pagan society. That's kind of timely, isn't it? It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That was Daniel. He was a foreigner and he was an exile. So, as you look at all of those throughout the New Testament, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. It hit me this week. What might be some of those things that, those sinful desires that I should be abstaining from because I'm in a foreign culture? It's exactly the things that we talked about that we wrestled with right at the very beginning. Instead of condemnation, instead of fear, instead of uh, trying to prove you're right and they're wrong, instead you love well. And look what it says. Live such, what? Good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Do people in our oikos, do people at school, do people uh, in the workforce, do they see the things I do? And the words that I'm saying, is it backed up by the lifestyle I'm living? Third is building bridges by caring for people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see the response. Peter is saying when you're responding to people who don't agree with you, notice he says, do it with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's power in that. In our culture, I think they're waiting to see are there truly people who walk with God who are not battering rams, but great lovers who love God first and just become extensions of love to the people around them? John Knox, a Scottish reformer during the 1500s said, you cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. I wonder how many times we're guilty of antagonizing rather than influencing. That we end up building walls rather than tearing them down. Instead, we bring more problems to people's lives rather than solutions. Bringing a steady certainty of who God is and allows others to know that He and He alone is the source of our peace and purpose in life. Daniel didn't argue, he didn't defend, he didn't explain, and he didn't debate. He just simply made his boundaries clear with direct, respectful communication. And finally, build a deep faith through an intimate relationship with God. 
It starts there. If the intimacy that you're building with God isn't strong, then I can guarantee you're not going to engage your culture the way that would be a God-honoring way. We're going to instead try to force people into accepting that I have the truth. Rather than being respectful to listen to their story. It's funny when we see, when we hear in the past how people share the gospel, they always start with man is sinful. But that's not where we should start. In the beginning, God created man in the image of God, in his likeness. I think we need to start building that intimacy with God and realizing that God is making me. He's he's building in me. He's shaping my story. And he's asking me to go out there and to engage that culture, to share life-giving story of what God is doing in our own lives as he then opens the heart and minds of those we engage with. I remember, and I think I may have shared this story, but I was just reminded of this week when I was on the plane praying that God would place somebody next to me who was seeking. I didn't know that the person that God would be put placing next to me was an atheist. And when he looked at me, as soon as we got seated on the plane, he said, uh, what do you do? And that's, boy, that's like saying sickum to a pastor. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me with this weird look. He said, I was just out at the gate I'm coming from my mother's funeral and I'm really struggling is that because I've always been an atheist. I don't believe that God exists, but there was something looking at my mother and something that was wrestling in me and I just wasn't sure what all that meant. And so I just found myself saying, if, if there is a God who's real, then put something, somebody next to me on the plane that knows you. <laughs> what if I'd have taken that moment and just hit the guy over the head with the Bible? God gave me a moment. It was an aha moment. And how I gently handed the gospel story to that man was unbelievable. It wasn't me, it was God. And that's what God wants us to do, is to be people who have real encounters with people, life people, real people, and show them out of the reality of our own life the freshness and the joy and the glory of God. God is always good. I'm going to invite the worship team up onto the platform. I just want you to understand, God is good all the time. Regardless of what we are going through, He's never going to let us down. And you may have come here today and you're really struggling because you, you realize, you know, I, I'm just so frustrated because I hear these truths, but 
it just doesn't seem, I don't feel like it's really connecting with where I'm really at. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now, those who you have brought here today, that they found themselves on the other side, that they question you, they, they feel like that you're narrow-minded, you're like a cop. You're always looking for mistakes so that you can penalize us. You can throw us in your jail. But Lord, I, I, I just pray today that ones who might be struggling like that might find themselves like that atheist saying that if you're real, then put somebody next to me on the plane. Lord, you brought them here today. And so I pray that they will find themselves crying out to you to ask for help. To know that you're never going to let them down. That you're always good. Lord, for those who are here and they've really blown opportunities to engage others with faith because they don't agree where they've slammed us because of our beliefs. Lord, forgive us today for what we've done. And today, help us to be able to give respect to the world out there that you love, that you died for. That instead of fleeing those who are that you're pursuing, we are engaging you with where you're at work. Lord, we just give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you believe that? Never going to let you down. And God is good all the time. From 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, submit yourselves to the Lord. For the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talks of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as good slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Respect earned through respect given. Go in grace and peace.